what I typically encourage leaders to do is the leader has to create the vision, but the vision creates the legacy. What I mean by that is that it's a leader's responsibility to cast vision in their life on who am I, where am I headed, why does it matter, and who are the people who are going to get me there fastest. That is the leader's responsibility. And to do that, if you think of an hourglass, the middle of the hourglass is a very tight, small place that only lets a few granules of sand through at a time. It's a very tight journey to get there, and you typically have to say no. You have to delete, you have to refine, you have to limit in order to define what do I want, where am I, why does it matter, and where am I headed? And once you define that, then you can open up the other side of the hourglass and then think about what do I want to pursue, but now I have vision on why I'm pursuing it, why does it matter? Every week here on More Than Profit, we explore the stories of leaders, entrepreneurs, and investors who have made a difference in the world while building successful businesses. We sit down with each guest and dive into their personal journey, their struggles and triumphs, and the lessons they've learned along the way. On this episode, we sit down with Andy Maurer, who believes that it's not about if you struggle as a leader, it's about how you courageously face and transform those struggles to bring about wholeness in your life, work, and relationships. Andy is the founder and CEO of Pursue Whole. As a former therapist and professor of human and sports psychology, Andy has taken the best of cutting-edge neuroscience and performance research and paired it with therapeutic best practices to create the Pursue Whole coaching model. His unique framework brings clarity, relief, and growth to the struggles leaders face on the inside. Andy believes leaders hold the power to change the world, but it's whole leaders that have the power to change it for the better. Whether he's working one-to-one with clients or delivering dynamic workshops for teams and groups, Andy's unwavering commitment to fostering holistic growth continues to set him apart from more traditional leadership coaches and counselors. If you are in need of rest and repair in your leadership journey, you are in for a treat. We have a very special guest today, Brian. A couple years ago, I hit a moment, and I don't exactly remember where I was, but I had this vision of my own life And I could see a path where I could actually become a pretty cynical, curmudgeonly old man. You know, everything was good in my life. Great family, great wife. Business was going well. But where I was inside and kind of who I was and what I wanted to be in the world were were not in sync. And, you know, and you had recommended that I reach out to a kind of a, a mutual friend who has really helped a lot of leaders kind of with that path. And I gotta say, I'm excited to sit down and talk and learn more about his own story. But Andy Maurer has just been a personal friend, counselor, coach, and has really given me some great insights. In fact, the question I was going to lead off with was like, what was the first time you cried with Andy Maurer? And so I, I can't remember. Brian, do you, do you remember? I, well, I do remember the very first time because uh, I had a little time to think about it. But I met Andy years ago in Memphis is where the first time that we used him in a group of leaders. And when I say it, it was like 50 leaders and they're all my friends. So I was riding high. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm having such a great time, but he did some exercises with us. And when I realized how jacked up everybody was, I got teary eyed going, Oh my gosh, these are my friends who I love. And I mean, there was just a lot of people struggling. And so it was in that moment that I remember saying to Andy, I really need help as I'm running across these amazing leaders that are doing incredible things. But the brokenness that just comes with us is, you know, amazing. And so 
that was the first time. And then I also use Andy, you know, as a mentor slash coach slash therapist. And uh, I cry not every time, but most times when you start to realize, I don't know, you have a breakthrough and you're like, wow, this is actually pretty amazing. So I do cry now. I don't cry probably as much as Bryce. Bryce cries a lot. And Bryce Bryce was not a crier, but he's a crier now. (laughs) Well, and I think the interesting thing, and Andy, we're going to bring you bring you in to start talking with us about this, but you know, it's really hard to describe what you do because I think everybody has these categories in their minds. And that's why you heard Brian qualified as mentor, coach, counselor. I did the same because I think in our traditional experiences, there's a counselor, a therapist, and they kind of help you in moments of crisis or trauma or through a challenging circumstance. And then you have coaches, you know, coaches are generally more practical tactics driven how do we make you better as a leader but leader more as a big l kind of the person out front how do you be the best chief executive and i think what you do and what i've really appreciated is we're really both of those things and so it's really hard to describe specifically what it is how would you describe what you do is there a word or what is it that you would associate that with yeah i think there's a a uniqueness to allow the client or allow my leader to describe me in the way that fits for them because everybody's experience is going to be different. Sometimes I'm going to help them through some more tactical advice on how to deal with teams or family. So I might be a family consultant or I might be a team consultant or I might be a therapist to them because they're dealing with a trauma or a really heavy issue. And for me, what I always crave to do is to create a safe place for leaders to pursue wholeness in their life, leadership, and relationships. So it is a little bit more comprehensive, but the safety really allows them to be able to open up and face parts of themselves that they haven't seen or that they don't know. So I let the client typically define that for themselves. But for me, from a brand standpoint, how I would define that that is exactly what you said, Bryce, is we're the bridge between therapy and executive coaching, that we believe that both of those have unique places in a leader's life. Therapy is very good under crisis on digging down into deep trauma. And therapists are known to diagnose things like addiction, trauma, suicidal thoughts, depression, and really focus on assessing those. But a lot of leaders, they don't want to go through that process because it's too intense, it's too fast, it's too deep, and they have to show back up at work and in their families as a leader. So they can't get bogged down. And yet they also have executive coaches who are good on strategy and tactics and development. But the pressures that I feel and that I hear from a lot of leaders is my executive coaches just wants me to do more and I'm tired of doing more. I need to figure out why I'm even doing this in the first place. So we take the best of both of those worlds and that's what we brought together in Pursue Hole in 2020 when me and my wife started this business together. Well, and I was there for the start and it was terrifying because you already had a successful practice as a therapist, but then branching out. It was COVID's going on. I mean, all the timing of things, but you have to say Charity, who came along with you because she left her business to help you run your business. It's been, for me, super fun to watch you build this incredible you know, I, empire of just where you're really helping a lot of people. We just did a weekend. We had brought Andy in for an event in San Diego and people didn't have a context or what to expect. And I think people were really blown away. I mean, just really because I even had my daughter who's 29 and she left with, you know, all kinds of it. Like, I think people left encouraged. So, but we needed four hours, not two hours, but that's for another time is what, got, what I realized. Always got to leave people wanting more, right? right well, they, people, people wanted the last two <laughs> points. People were like, we need the last two points. So, and it's been really, I mean, 
because watching you launch the business, because it is taking care of the leader, but then you also have to run a tight business to make it work. I mean, to make it profitable and all those other things. So that's what's been fun is going, watching you and Charity run that. And that is the beauty as we started out this business. Me and my wife are uniquely different in so many ways. We're polar opposites on most spectrums. And you know, I'm more emotional. She's more logical, which is not a common dynamic between men and women, but she brings her linear logical strategy brain to business. And she has been building businesses for the last 10 years and she's really good at it. And I bring my emotional, creative, um, relational brain to it. And when we come together, the thing that I learned early on is that you don't have a business unless it's profitable or it's making money. So that is this constant tension that I have to hold on in Pursue Whole. I believe about what we're doing on serving people, but I don't have a business that can serve people if we can't be profitable. So that's why we bring the best of both of those worlds together. And that's a constant navigation. Sometimes we need to lean more heavily on kind of the strategy and finance heavy uh, focus and other times we need to focus on hey let's just focus on serving and adding value and really creating safe spaces for people but that's a constant dance that will never go away and that's a balance of i think a really healthy business one of the questions i was going to ask you was why did you start this in the first place because i think some people would say you had a, a successful practice providing therapy and counseling so what's to say you couldn't continue to do that work, even with leaders at your old practice, as a more kind of defined therapist in that sense. What was it inside of you? What was what was missing inside of you that craved launching this new thing? And then what did you see in the world that needed to, to live? Because I, I see a passion where you really have identified a unique, specific problem. You are going after that. And so I'm just curious, wh what really changed 2019, 2020 as you launched that out? Yeah, a lot of things shifted. I was a personal trainer for 10 years previously before I even got into therapy. And I loved helping people. I loved helping them pursue health and wellness. And as I went through that process, I realized they were emotionally really struggling, even though they were physically fit and healthy. They were even more unhealthy emotionally as we went through the process because they didn't have a healthy image of their body. They didn't have a healthy relationship with their self or with their family. So I thought, man, I really want to do deeper and better work. And if you even take that back to when I got into therapy in the first place, I remember early on the specific moment as I was sitting in the office with a kid, early on in therapy is probably four weeks into my clinical practice. And I was sitting with this young boy who was about eight years old and he was very shut down he wouldn't really talk to me. And I started asking him about some of his family dynamics and what happened there. And it turned out that what actually happened was he had sexual abuse happening in his family. And for me as a therapist, my specialty was trauma and abuse. So I thought that I was ready to approach these issues. I thought that I was ready to tackle these issues and help him. And as he started to share and open up, I started to feel really frustrated with this child. And I didn't know why. I'd walk away from those sessions and just feel agitation. And, and, and what you learn in therapy is what comes up for you in the room is typically part of your story coming up. So you need to do some work on that. So I just remember as I sat with this boy and he worked through his abuse, I went home one time and I just lost it with my wife, I just started crying and breaking down. And I said, 
the reason why it's so hard to work with this boy and the reason why I feel so frustrated is because I have to come even closer face-to-face with the sexual abuse that happened in my life and my pain. And I didn't want to deal with that. And yet I knew that I had to in order to move beyond my frustration and anger and really be helpful to people in these positions is I had to further heal my pain there. And I remember just weeping with my wife on the bed and what I typically would have classified as childhood like sexual play and exploration. Really in that moment, I redefined as sexual abuse because of some of the power dynamics and different things going on in that relationship. And I think I defined it easily that way early on of like play because it was easier for me to handle. I didn't have to feel the pain of it. But when I recognized what it actually was, it broke me and I felt like something was taken from me that I could never get back. And I remember sitting with my wife in that moment and just weeping and telling her, I never ever want someone to feel like they have to carry their pain on their own. I always want to feel like I want to be the person who steps in and helps people feel like they have a safe place to open up and share some of the difficulty going on. Because when I had to hold that inside, it wrecked my world. I had to use so many coping mechanisms and so much deflection and pushing down to deal And when I was able to be open about that, I actually got to move through it and I was a healthier person because of it. And that was the original start of my journey towards wanting to help people emotionally is to create safe places where they don't have to feel like they're alone in the world, whatever they struggle with. It could be abuse, it could be anxiety, it could be stress, it could be a divorce, it could be other things, but just a safe place to know that they don't have to be alone. And then the other prominent part that played into that role was I really wanted to work with leaders because... A lot of my pain came from leaders who, instead of using their power and their position to pour life into me, they used their power and position to take life from me through abuse, through unhealthy patterns. And I thought, man, if I can change the trajectory of high-level leaders and bring health and wholeness to their life and help them pursue that, it will bring health to their families, it'll bring health to their organizations, it'll bring health to the community, and it'll bring health to the world. So we started out this vision of leaders will change the world, but whole leaders will change it for the better. And I wanted to work with leaders because I saw that that was my greatest contribution to changing the pain in the world is helping leaders heal their pain so that they can pour life rather than take life, pour in life rather than take life. And that's been a really beautiful journey over the last couple of years. And therapy was a great place to start that journey, but it wasn't a good place to capitalize on that journey. There's certain legal things in therapy. You can't maintain a friendship with a client outside of the therapeutic grounds. There's a lot of legal and ethical rigidity to it that I don't think is really helpful in a natural friendship that occurs. I like my clients. I enjoy being able to relate to them and have bonding moments with them. And it's given me much more access to leaders because in coaching, that's the world that they understand and know. So I actually went to their world rather than forcing them to come to my world. And that's been a huge way that I've been able to enact change in the world is through my pain, but then also believing that leaders, when they're healed, have the power to change the world for the better. Well, I think that's interesting because, you know, you and I've talked about like Dr. Putnam's book in the 19th, this pivotal book that just basically bowling alone and just this unearthing of isolation that exists. And I think, I think leaders feel that really acutely. And it's interesting that that's what you identified and bridged into, because I think as a leader, as a high performer, yes, I have brokenness. I mean, we all do. I have trauma and I could go to a therapist, but I think there's a disconnection because ultimately what I need 
and what I've really benefited from you and from others is authentic relationship, friendship, to be known and seen in that type of an environment where I can trust you, I can count on you, I can share with you, you can listen, you can offer words of encouragement, you can cry with me, but that that can't exist in that traditional therapy kind of guru kind of setup. So I think that's pretty interesting that you that you identified and that kind of really stepped into that. I think the other thing that I'm curious your thoughts on this with leaders specifically, what is it about leaders, high performers, where they push down these traumatic events? Because we all have wounding and brokenness. We all have people that have not considered us, not seen us, not counted us even as human, even in our interact, could be an employee, could be a spouse. What is it about leaders that they just kind of push that down and continue to drive forward? And then what we see is just explosion where it's like, to your point, it's super devastating. So, and what's interesting is why, you know, I started bringing Andy into so many relationships that I had was going, it was what I observed. And I know you're asking him, but like watching the people that he's helped is I'm like, they have a superpower, but a lot of times that superpower comes from trauma, but that superpower then is also kryptonite where it's like double-edged. And so I would watch people who had credible capacity or you just drive or those other things, but it came at a great cost. And so I think for me, what's been amazing is going, I feel like Andy tries to bring balance to the force. Like he'll try to say, Hey, this is good. You want to, you know, be that person, but you do have to remember that there are other people. Cause you know, I mean, it's like Steve jobs or anything where you go, Steve jobs brings some of the, you know, brought some of the best products, but you go, wouldn't want to be his kid, his wife or his employee. And you know, you just go, that's a problem, you know, as a leader. So anyways, answer the question, but that's watching Andy help at least our friends is going, man, he really, he helps brokenness, but it's like, it is their, it's sometimes it's, it's their superpower. So Andy answer that. I think the best way to think about this is two separate people coexisting inside of one person. So you have two strong dominant parts of us as humans. You have your what I call chief performance officer, which is this part of us that is linear, logical, responsible. It drives us forward towards action. It's not very emotional, but it's extremely disciplined. In childhood, when we experience pain, we learn coping mechanisms to deal and cope with that. And this is actually a God-given technique. It's called dissociation, which is when I feel emotional pain, I do whatever I can to suppress that, numb that, or shut that down. Well, in a moment, that's really helpful because if we were to be emotionally open during the midst of that pain or neglect or trauma, we would get even more hurt. So we shut that down. But what should only be a moment in time becomes a lifestyle response. So early on in childhood, we have these moments where we have to kind of numb our pain. But when we don't have people that we can talk to or process about that, we live lifestyles of dissociation. We live lifestyles where we push down our emotional part of ourselves, and we only operate out of our chief performance officer, which is this high driver. So you have your high driver, your chief performance officer. You also have your chief emotions officer, which is the part of you that actually feels deeply, connects, is intuitive, is in creative, is, has purpose and meaning. But that part of us only really gets to come out maybe 5% of the time. And the reason why that becomes problematic is because that works really good for business to be your chief performance officer. It breaks down very quickly in organic, intimate relationships. 
This is why notoriously you have high achievers who can build multi-million dollar, billion dollar businesses. But when you look at, like Brian, you said, their personal life, it's chaos because they've shut down the part of themselves that is really good at connecting and relating to, to other people. So I think it comes out of trauma. It comes out of pain. And what we need to recognize in any healthy business and system is that both of those parts have to learn how to work effectively together. So we need to take the best of our high performer and we need to take the best of our more emotional part of our brain and figure out what it looks like for them to work together and produce a, a meaningful, connected, driven, purposeful life together. And yet we often only prioritize our driven part, our performance part. Now, this breaks down really fast because we lose our sense of purpose and identity very quickly. So when we are in our high achiever brain, the thing that becomes most important is our performance. But we lose a sense of identity and it's always tied to how we perform and how we operate. And, and that's a conversation we can have later on today is that's one of the biggest breakdowns that I see is around you know, purpose and identity and, and uh, people forgetting who they are, uh, what they feel, and where they're headed in life. If you're part of a homeowners association who's interested in saving money on home services, let me tell you about PIN Plus, the ultimate platform that brings neighbors together under one powerful concept, power in numbers. With PIN Plus, homeowners associations can now access group discounted pricing on essential home services, trash, pest control, pool maintenance, and so much more, all at unbeatable rates. The best part, PIN Plus is designed for you, the community members. Manage your accounts, pay bills, sign up for services, and discover exciting community-wide events, all with a simple tap of a button. Your entire community, united as one customer, allows them to negotiate fantastic deals with trusted vendors in your area. So why wait? Unleash the power in numbers today and transform your home service experience. Download the PIN Plus app from the App Store or Google Play Store, or visit www.mypinplus.com for more information. Now back to the episode. One of the reasons you've been helping me over the last year and a half is if, if you look from the outside, Access Ventures is doing amazing things. And I truly believe that. But it got to a point where we were doing things that I was excited about, but they weren't things that I was passionate about. Um, I had kind of created an organization where it was kind of a smorgasbord, a, a, an amalgamation of other people's passions because my my fear was team members not passionate about the direction that I was going in or wanted to go and that they might leave and go do something else. And my need and desire for affirmation or other people kind of wanting to move in that direction kind of caused me to, to do things that I wasn't just even passionate about. And so, you know, spending the last year kind of chipping away at, okay, what is my purpose? What am I uniquely gifted and positioned to do and what do I want to actually pursue and and who's my tribe who's going to help me help me get there it's been really helpful in my own journey to just become passionate again about who I am and what I want to see and you have to say Bryce with that I see way more joy all that you just said was true like I saw you building an incredible company and you're doing really good work but I do think there's something about you just have more clear vision you know what you want you know and I, I don't know it's just easy working with you because you know, it's clear. I mean, there's not question and stuff. So I think that's because I would say 
you know, who you were a year and a half, two years ago when you started, you know, work with Andy, I'm like, you are very different in your, even how secure you are with yourself and in those things, which has all been work that we all need to be doing. So yeah, no, I think it's great. Leaders are really good at action. That's how they've gotten to where they are. They often aren't as equally skilled at self-reflection. And how that plays out is they take a shotgun approach to life. They fill up their life with a bunch of stuff, whether it's monetary or consumerism or ideas or friendships. But all of those things are very shallow. It's a lot of good things, but they all have emptiness attached to them. So what I typically encourage leaders to do is the leader has to create the vision, but the vision creates the legacy. What I mean by that is that it's a leader's responsibility to cast vision in their life on who am I, where am I headed, why does it matter, and who are the people who are going to get me there fastest. That is the leader's responsibility. And to do that, if you think of an hourglass, the middle of the hourglass is a very tight, small place that only lets a few granules of sand through at a time. It's a very tight journey to get there, and you typically have to say no. You have to delete, you have to refine, you have to limit in order to define what do I want, where am I, why does it matter, and where am I headed? And once you define that, then you can open up the other side of the hourglass and then think about what do I want to pursue, but now I have vision on why I'm pursuing it, why does it matter? And that's the legacy that we have, is to take a more targeted approach to life. And the other thing I'll say is vision is about the life that we live. But legacy is about the impact of our death. Your vision is about the life that you want to live and the impact you want to have while you're living. But your legacy is really about the impact that you want to have after you're gone. And in order to have a great legacy, you have to have a tight vision for life. And in order to have a tight vision on life, you have to have a tight vision on who you are as a person. You got to know what you feel, what you want, who you are, where you're headed, and why it matters. And those are the number one things that leaders forget about because they spend all their time worrying about what other people want them to become. And they're great salespeople. They typically have very high EQ. So they're reading people's social cues. They're adjusting their body language, their tone, their language to fit because they want to be connected. But in that process of becoming what everyone wants them to become, they lose themselves. And really the journey around wholeness is to rediscover who you authentically are in the hard parts and the easier parts, in the brokenness and in your strengths, and really live a life where those come together and are integrated. And that's really what we define as wholeness, is bringing all those parts together under one house and seeing they all have value and they're all needed to get to where we want to be. Which again, sounds like, I mean, so much of this seems so simple or so like, oh yeah, of course. But I'm like, with leaders, they're just in the middle of living, trying to, you know, there's so many fronts to be fighting and situations and family and all that stuff that I just go, I think you really do lose sight of it. And what's interesting is you talk to people and it's a lot of times not till they're in their 50s or 60s that they start to get a hold of some of this stuff. So that's why I just think the earlier, the better. We love to do preventative work at Pursue Whole. You know, once you've been walking it out for three decades and your hair's on fire and you're in crisis... You know, sometimes therapy is the best route for that because you are in crisis mode. We want to do preventative work to help leaders pursue a better way of leading, a better way of doing family. And leaders don't know how to access a lot of that at first. Oftentimes, the number one reason why leaders come in is because they don't understand what's happening inside of themselves. They see all the implications. They see the fruit, like I'm drinking too much. My marriage is a wreck. 
I feel exhausted. I feel burned out. I don't understand what's happening inside of me. And I'll use a story to kind of drive this point home. When I was early on in therapy, I was meeting with this gal who was a leader and she would talk in my office with me about like 50 different things. So she'd talk about this chaos and then this chaos and this chaos and then this problem at home, this problem with her. And every time I tried to go down with her and dig in, she would deflect and go sideways and start another conversation. And I started to get really confused on like, what is happening here? So I was actually in a room that was a child psychiatrist room. So there were lots of toys around, lots of little trinkets and animals. So I picked up a bucket of dinosaurs one day, these little, you know, toy dinosaurs. And as she was talking, every time she changed the topic, I would throw a dinosaur on the ground. And she'd look at me kind of confused on what I'm doing, but she would keep going and then start a new conversation until there was about 15 different toy animals laid out on the ground. And she finally stopped and she said, what are you doing? And I said, this is what it feels like to be in the room with you, that there are multiple things that you're throwing out. I don't actually know what the point of all this is. Where are you actually headed? What are you actually avoiding? And she bent over and she picked up one of these dinosaurs and she looked at it. She pointed it at me and she said, this is what I'm avoiding. This is my pain. And that was really eye-opening to me because she was deflecting into multiple conversations because she didn't want to have to feel and face the pain that was inside. But then when we actually talked about the pain, she was able to have some relief. She was able to put words to it. She was able to put strategy to it. But all she knew how to do was like she was on a treadmill running 100 miles per hour and she didn't know how to slow it down. So she kept talking, she kept deflecting, she kept going. And that's really where a lot of leaders are. They need help. They don't want to be on the treadmill. They just don't know how to get off. They need someone else to come in and say, hey, I need you to slow down. What's actually happening? What do you feel? In the business world, no one's asking us those questions. And when we're a high-level leader, everybody's wanting something from us. So we can't tell, is this really my friend? Are they going to take advantage of me if I share something vulnerable with them? Do they want my money? Do they want my time? Like, Those are questions that leaders think about all the time, especially when you're a professional athlete or you're a celebrity or you're a high-end leader, is I don't really know what this person's you know motivation is to want to get to know me. They're skeptical. I love the language you used about pursue whole is really about preventative kind of care and work. I love it. I'm a firm believer in it. But how do we, maybe you can help me understand this, how do we break down, I think oftentimes, especially with leaders, these stigmas? And I've seen it before where it's like we go, and I'll just use marriage as an example, everybody gets premarital counseling. Not everybody, but most people do, right? And But then they never talk to anybody until there's crisis. you know. But we go to the doctor, or we should, every year for a well checkup, for a physical so there's an, there's parts of our lives where we're we're totally fine getting a trainer, getting a nutritionist, going to the doctor and checking up on our body. But when it comes to our emotional well-being, we just it's like it's you only go there if if something's in crisis and if you do it's a sign of weakness. And then to your point, like people that are 30 years in and they're in crisis, now they they desperately need a therapist. How do we get over that? How do we as a culture, how do we as a community of, of people, how do we as leaders, how do we break down some of that stigma where this is seen as, as life-giving? What are some things that you've done in, in helping people see that? Well, and you do have to say though, Andy, and you'd speak to it. I do think people, like there's much more favorable 
view of therapy now. Like people, like, I mean, like circles that we used to run in, it would be interesting where nobody want to talk about it. And I think people are afraid, like I'm 56 years old. I still don't know how I feel sometimes. Like when you're asking, how do you feel? I'm like, I have no clue to how I'm feeling, you know? And so it's just been helpful with that. But where, you know, I just look at it and go, it is interesting because it, particularly men, they just don't want to share their emotion because somehow, you know, it's bad to, or it shows weakness or whatever. But I do think there's a shift where people are like, I'm not doing well and I need help. And, you know, I, I just think probably crisis, more crisis, but yeah, I just, so anyways, answer that question. Sorry. This is a problem that has been evolving over the decades. So I've been in the mental health field for a long time. I was a licensed therapist for a long time. And in that, you have a manual that you base every client off of, and it's called the DSM, the Diagnostic Manual of Disorders. And that manual, which is now, I think, in the fifth revision, has gotten larger and larger as the years go on. Okay, So what this is about is when you work with a client, you have to put on an intake form, a diagnosis, and then how are you going to treat that diagnosis? When you see everything in this massive 500-page book as disorders or diagnoses, everything is a problem. <laughs> so what the whole brokenness of some of the therapeutic world, and it's gotten a lot better, Brian, like you said, but it started out in this idea of if you have problems and you have diagnosable disorders, you go see a therapist. And there's a ton of shame around that. When really, when we look at it, everybody has problems. And I always ask the question when I looked at that book, I'm like, who gets to write these books? And like, what's the epitome of what health looks like? Where's that book? We don't have that book. All we have is the book that shows all the problems. So that's a huge stigma that we're trying to work against and pursue whole and that we've had to fight against is because I come from therapy and therapy is a very shame-based approach for a lot of people because they don't want to tell their friends and family they're seeing a therapist, nor do they want to talk about what they're talking about in therapy. Yet when people meet with me, I've spent a long time over the last two years to redefine this journey as actually a place of pride rather than shame, that you are doing preventative work as a leader to pursue a life of purpose and meaning and intention. And not many leaders take that journey. So you should feel immense pride that you're pursuing wholeness in your family, in your business, and you want to be a better leader. So part of it is we're trying to shift that stigma and just say personal development, whether it's around addiction or whether it's around a broken marriage or whether it's around coping mechanisms or anxiety or fear or stress, whatever it is, be proud that you're leaning in and taking the courage to do the work because not many people do that. And I actually think that's a key to great leadership is people who are vulnerable enough to say, I have a problem, I need help, but I'm going to pursue that problem and actually be better in it. To me, that's some of the greatest leaders that I know. And we just have to redefine that. We've worked in pursue whole very strongly to take a pride-based approach versus a shame-based approach to the work that we do, so much so that we have a wall in our office with all of a lot of our clients' visions of their one page big vision on who they want to be. And after they do work, I'll typically say, would you be willing to put your plaque up on the wall to both honor you and also let other clients see kind of your journey? I haven't had one person tell me no, because when they finish that plaque around their purpose and identity, they want to show it to their friends. They want to show it to their family. They're like, look, I know who I am, where I'm headed and why it matters. And not many people do. So that's kind of a badge of honor. I'm like, I did such hard work to figure out what I feel, where I'm headed, and why it matters. 
and and people are you know really proud about that journey and that's what we want for our leaders is to feel pride that they did this journey and not shame that they feel like something's wrong with them because they have to do this journey you know one thing i've also really appreciated about you is leadership is not individual you know i mean there are leaders but they also have a team what i mean by that is the fact that brian and i both are able to work with you i know that our relationship at work is far better because we now have common language. We have a common approach. We both understand we're doing this work on ourselves to be a better person, uh, a better friend, a better coworker. But then we're also doing this because we care about the other person. Talk to us about that too, because I think that's also a lot of times when I hear professional development, personal development, it, it's very individual. But what I've actually really, in a practical level, really appreciated about working with you and pursue whole is I'm able to do that with Brian. And so it's like, it's like marriage counseling in a sense. What do you see in kind of the value of that work and, and how that's done in the context of companies you might've worked with or other leaders? I'll just speak real practically to part of our process and what we do. And this is now a product that we put out there called our vision guides around purpose and identity, which we'll attach the link to and, and we can share. But this is a framework and process for you to eventually get to a one page defined vision on who you want to be in five years from now, not what your company needs you to be, not what your spouse needs you to be. When you look in the mirror in five years from now, who do you want to see? What do you want to make people feel? And part of that is we have these I am statements attached to it. So mine are, I'm a visionary leader, I'm an emotional child, and I'm an adventurous child, and I'm an emotional man. Those are my three. And those clearly help me identify what is my unique ability and my calling in this world. And then we also talk about unique gifts and unique weaknesses that you need to work on. And that's all defined into one page. And when I work with other companies or leaders, the fact that they have their employees or team members do that exercise along with them helps them understand at the core, like, what is the deep drives of the person that they work with? What are their unique abilities? What are their passions? Who would they define as their tribe in order to help them get to where they want to be? And I've done this multiple times with my team. Every person on my team has completed their big vision, and it's actually up on my wall. And oftentimes before we have our team meetings, I will read each person's big vision and remember, oh, this is who they are. This is their unique gift. This is what they're good at. And this is what they're struggle with. And that's really helpful for me to have compassion on a person, to actually seek to know them deeply, rather than just putting a kind of, you know, personality assessments are good, but it's basically just a bunch of questions that funnel you into a solution. The big vision that we create is a very organic process to help people discover who they are and what they want. And when you get those types of answers, you really get the heart core of who somebody is. And then you figure out, I think the best version of that then is to take my team and look at us and say, hey, everybody's good in something different, but what does it look like for us to work together to create collective impact in the world? How do we each have individual expression, but when we come together, how do we create collective impact? And that as a leader, if you're a CEO or you have a team, that's what you want to do is figure out what is the individual expression of each person? What are they good at? What are they not good at? And then how do we come together collectively to create a, a vision and impact on where we're headed? And I have to say, because I'm still writing mine five year, but what is interesting is going, Bryce has a huge capacity to do a lot of things, but what I've seen him do is slow down to be doing the important things, but it gives him even purpose in the slowing down, knowing 
there'll be more things to come. But in the past, I just think Bryce would just take on more, do more. But it's just been interesting to go to see him as a leader going, yeah, he really is. It's like, in fact, TJ, a guy we worked with said there was a picture of like all these arrows going out. And then there was another picture of just a single arrow that is the same length of all the other arrows put together, but it's really long. And I just thought, I do feel like that's where, you know, through your help with Bryce that Access Ventures is really, we're getting way more single focused in a good way. And rather than Bryce taking the mantle of 30 things, he's focusing on three things. And so, yeah, but it was all through this. Vision gives us potency rather than just performance. It allows us to clearly define who we are, where we're headed, and what our unique ability is in the world. And there's mission drift that happens in organizations when you get to certain sizes or as you go on. We've had this happen multiple times where we've had to tighten back up and come back to our core values or core vision. And if we didn't have that, my wife is, this is really her unique gift and ability. And she actually works with leaders to craft their unique vision and unique values around this. But her ability to do that for us I can't tell you how many times in the darkest moments where I feel like, man, business isn't going well, or I'm feeling insecure about my identity here. I'll go back and I'll look at our values on our wall and it will align me back to why I'm doing this, why it matters. It's a refresher. And if you don't have that, you're just lost, confused. And if you're confused, your customer and your team members are also confused. One of my fundamental beliefs is that the heart of any lasting and transformative change in the world is people right? Culture makers, change makers, whatever you call them. It's people that drive change in companies, communities, and culture. And I think if we've got healthy people, healthy leaders at the heart of that change, we're going to see just vast generational improvement. So man, I appreciate your work and uh, keep on keeping on. I would echo that because I, you know, I think the thing I'm most encouraged with Andy from Bryce and I, you know, just going, you really are a friend. Like, so it is that great thing. You're obviously a coach, but then just proud of the business that you're building and being associated with it going, you're really doing an amazing job. And then, you know, I, when I think about summing you up, I just go, I just feel like you love people with excellence. Like there's just that you just really try to take it to the next level and it's, you take it serious and all those other things. So just grateful you're in our lives and in the lives of a lot of our friends. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Part of my vision, if you come in my office and look at my wall, my one pager starts by saying, when people are in my presence, they feel seen, known, and heard in a way that heals their deepest aches and pains. I meet people empty and I leave them whole as a response to the overflow of love that I feel on the inside. That's really my first paragraph. And it comes from, I've had key leaders, my spouse, other people meet me in that pain and pour love and life into me. And really what I get to do now is be a, kind of an overflow on I really want to do exactly what you're describing, Brian, which is to create safe spaces and love on people in ways where they can be filled up and then go out and pour out on other people. And that happens through safety. It happens through authenticity and vulnerability. And I'm really proud of both of you for the work that you've done to, because I've seen the impact that you've each had on your families and your community and the people you lead. And you're a much better person than you were three years ago. Yeah, no, amen to that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Andy. Thanks for listening to this episode of More Than Profit. We hope this episode was encouraging and perhaps even challenged you as a leader to pursue whole in your own life as you work to impact the world. Be sure to check out the show notes to link out to the vision process Andy talks about on this episode. And if you click the link before August 28th, you will receive 20% off your vision guide. 
Even if you click after the 28th, you will not be disappointed. To learn more or inquire about coaching, please check out PursueHold.com. To stay up to date with More Than Profit, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, drop us a review so others can find us as well. Don't forget to check out our new website at morethanprofit.fm where we have additional content and past episodes. You can also learn more about what's ahead by following us on Twitter at listen underscore MTP. More Than Profit is a production of Access Ventures and is hosted by Bryce Butler and Brian McKay. Our executive producer is Crystal Escobar and our associate producer is Bryn McKay. Audio production assistance is provided by Resonate Recording. Our theme song today was No Man's Land by Slapstorm. I'm Brim McKay, and you've been listening to More Than Profit.